0: We begin this one by saying that we appreciate all of our fans, especially those who are joining us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash And for those who still don't know about it, we're inviting you to swing on by and throw a couple of coins our way. Because as we say at the end of our show each week, putting a podcast together all by yourself is not cheap. Especially when it comes to trying to find decent quality copies of the thing that we're going to be looking over today. Which also happens to be our first ever Patreon request out of the five that we have available for sale over there. And while we thank our producer of the damned, Neil Weinstein for his request, quite honestly, I'd rather be cast away on a desert island than cover it. A
1: three hour tour? A three hour tour? I know, why do they have all
2: Don't touch that dial. This is Teller Hell.
0: This story begins with a simple man whose name has more than enough sh sounds in it to make one wonder if they need braces. One, Mister Sherwood Schwartz, originally studying to be a doctor of biology, Schwartz stumbled into the world of comedy through a series of happy accidents ultimately culminating in writing jokes for Bob Hope's radio show on a freelance basis. When the opportunity came for Schwartz to join Hope's show on a full-time basis, he was faced with a tough decision. Continue with his studies in science and health in the hopes of coming up with a groundbreaking, life-saving discovery someday, or make some easy money writing jokes for television. No offense to those actually pursuing doctoral degrees out there, but Sometimes, the right answer is the more obvious one. So with that, Schwartz sacrificed his scientific endeavors to pursue showbiz. Throughout the 50s and 60s, Schwartz would write for such classic staples as Ozzy and Harriet and Red Skelton, for which he would win his first Emmy Award. And it was thanks to that success that TV networks wanted to hire Schwartz to come up with new ideas for their schedules. But what would later go on to be his earliest signature achievement almost never made it to air. The tale of Gilligan's Island is not unlike how castaways survive shipwrecks. With guts and sheer tenacity, both NBC and ABC passed on it flatly. But when it came time to pitch it to the one remaining TV network, CBS, they said yes, but not without several more hurdles to climb. Many casting changes, many production difficulties... And many bits of network politicking almost derailed the pilot's production before the network eventually and reluctantly agreed to put it on the air. As much as we'd like to tell you the entire story, we really don't have that kind of time. So, if you get the chance, look for a TV movie called Surviving Gilligan's Island, the incredibly true story of the longest three-hour tour in history. They pretty much give you all the how and why. But what we're going to be looking at today is one of the many, many aftermaths of the show. When the show ended in 1967, enough episodes of it was produced so that it could enter the ever-thriving and never-ending world of syndication. It has never left the air since. Yet, at the same time, the show only lasted three seasons, which meant that Gilligan, The Skipper 2, The Millionaire and His Wife, The Movie Star... The Professor, and Marianne, seem doomed to be marooned on the island for the rest of their lives, even though the actors who portrayed them have long moved on afterward. And yet, the show had been in reruns for so long by that point, that the series became even more popular than when it initially aired on CBS. Not unlike another creation of Sherwood Schwartz's, which, the less said about it ever again, the better. Still, though, Despite how popular the show was in syndication, it doesn't change the fact that it still only lasted three seasons, and those who were invested in the show felt frustrated that they would never get off the island. But sometimes, when things seem the most hopeless, that's when you count your blessings and call upon a saint for guidance. Never let it be known that Fred Silverman did entirely bad things when he was made the president of NBC in 1978. Yes, he made mistakes that have long gone down in TV history as the most infamous, But never forget that he would not even have the job at NBC were it not for his successes at both ABC and CBS as well. Especially at CBS, since he happened to be working at the network as the head of daytime programming around the time that the original run of Gilligan was on the air. And, while I'd like to think that that was just a coincidence, also never forget that Silverman was a student of television long before he became one of its many teachers, and that he wasn't called the man with the golden gut for nothing. He saw how people loved watching Gilligan's Island when it first aired in primetime, and he also saw how much people couldn't get over it in syndication. Put two and two together, plus NBC's waning fortunes back then, and all of a sudden... NBC had a ready made blockbuster on its hands. All they needed was Schwartz to come up with a new story and for the original cast to return, which they did. But not unlike that other show that Schwartz made famous and its spin offs, Gilligan's Island also had its holdout. Uh-huh. Now and forevermore, the movie star. Tina Louise wanted to have as much to do with Gilligan's Island revivals as Daniel Craig wants to do with James Bond currently. As much as the role of Ginger Grant turned her into a household name, she made her bones as a dramatic actor on stage and in movies. And as time passed after getting off the island, she felt that years and years of her appearing in reruns had all but ruined her career, even though she was still getting steady work in other things, ultimately contradict the claim that she hated playing Ginger much later in her life, and wouldn't be against doing other Gilligan-related reunions that were not TV movies, such as the pitfalls of having one memorable role define you. Isn't that right, Norman? We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? To that end, when the time came for the castaways to reunite for this TV movie, the only way she would ever be involved is if they drove a dump truck full of money to her door. But the truck never came. So, in Tina's place, character actress Judith Baldwin would slip on Ginger's gowns. While the rest of the cast of Bob Denver, Alan Hale Jr., Jim Backus, Natalie Schaefer, Russell Johnson, and Don Wells would embark on a journey 15 years in the making the day they were rescued from Gilligan's Island. What makes this show particularly interesting is the fact that NBC, whose ratings went well beyond Earth's core back then, decided to split up the movie into two hour-long specials, hoping that The Gambit would be enough to have multiple nights of high ratings for a change back then. But since the copy I bought from Hell's Gift Shop happens to be feature-length without commercials, I'm going to be treating this as a TV movie. Which means, aside from all the trivia that I mentioned up front, our Judgment in the Nine Circles will be based on the plot of the movie, and nothing else. With that said, hit me. October 14th, 1978. Kiss You All Over by Exile was at the top of the charts. Devo was about to make its network television debut on SNL. And just a couple hours earlier, at 8pm, 7pm Central, viewers get to hear an old, familiar tune once again. And I know you know the words. But since I get so little joy out of life after death, just let me have this for a minute.
2: Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing and the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The middle would be lost The ship's aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle With Gilligan, a skip two. the skipper too a millionaire and his wife The movie star The professor and Mary Ann Here on Gilligan's Island.
0: Ah, Thanks. I needed that. We begin with the castaways, Sound Asleep. Riveting, I know. Where even asleep in their bunk bed hammocks, Gilligan finds ways to annoy the skipper.
2: Gilligan! So what's the matter? I can't fall asleep with all that snoring going on. I don't hear anything. I want you to go back to sleep. And I want you to sleep
0: without snoring. That is an order. Hi, sir. Which brings us to the first but thankfully not the worst problem that we have with this movie, pointless padding. The original series had only 30 minutes of airtime to play with minus commercials. So the comedy had to be fast and tight. But when you're a 90-minute TV movie, even if it's split into two hour-long shows, time becomes as much of a luxury as it becomes an obstacle. So be ready for many pieces like these that do absolutely nothing to advance the plot. But again, this is the least of our problems. Gilligan's snoring was just a prelude to what actually gets the ball rolling.
2: Oh, the island's sinking! The island's sinking! Help help help, help! 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 help, help. Oh, Skipper! Skipper! Oh, Girl, wake up! Wake up! Gilligan, wake up! He just told me to go to sleep. Gilligan, you were having another one of your nightmares. Oh, yeah, and it was awful. The island broke off and started to float away, and then it started to melt. And now, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm scared, Skipper.
0: One other thing that's noticeable with this show, and I know this is going to sound a little hypocritical, the lack of a laugh track. I know we've had our beef with it back in episode 17, but for all the trouble that the laugh track ever caused, there are times when implementing one are more necessary than we thought. Considering this is a TV movie, it automatically makes the laugh track null and void. But then again, this is Gilligan's Island. The gags are so dumb that a laugh track almost feels required by law. Without it, I'm not even sure whether or not to laugh or feel sorry for Gilligan's ramblings here. We've been on this island for 15 years and we're perfectly safe. I can assure you that Gilligan's dream has no significance whatsoever. As we then slam ourselves into a completely different TV show altogether, one with spy equipment that I'm sure the man from Uncle used at some point. Why are we looking at spy technology? Wait, space? Russians? Oh no, this isn't the pilot to 1982's Gilligan's Planet cartoon, is it? (laughs) Loosely translated, one of their satellites is malfunctioning, so now, as a precautionary measure, they have to blow it up. As the Russians blow up the satellite, a sentence I never thought would have any connection to anything Gilligan's Island related, we see a metal disc from the debris floating down to earth and landing in the island's lagoon, where, sure enough, Gilligan comes across it. And the smartest man on the island tries to make sense of it.
2: Gilligan, this metal disc you found is marvelous. We can finally predict the weather again, and thanks to this disc, with remarkable accuracy. That's good news. I'm going to tell the others. Hold on, Gilligan. According to this instrument, there's a raging storm approaching the island. That's bad. But it won't get here for a couple of days. That's good. The gyrations of this needle indicate that the storm will cause a gigantic tidal wave that will completely wash over the island. That's bad. But it comes with a free frogut! That's good. The frogut is also cursed. That's bad. But you get your choice of topping. That's good. The toppings contain potassium benzoate.
0: That's bad. (laughs) How do you like that? For once, the Simpsons didn't do it first. But go on.
2: I am relying on you to keep this between us while I try to determine a solution. There's no reason for the others to be upset. Now, mum's the word. But, Professor, No
0: buts, Gilligan. Mum's the word. Now, what's the word? Mum... A joke that they take far too literally. Over. Give me a hand with this trap, will you? Mum. Mum what? Mum's the word. And
2: over. Well, if you know something, tell us, say something. Mum. I'm not your mum, Gilligan. And over. now, Gilligan, what is it that you were going to tell me? Mum's the word. What does that mean? Mum means mum.
0: Until eventually, Gilligan blabs to Marianne and sets the plot in motion, finally. People
2: who make promises should keep them. You don't have to tell us a thing. Well, thanks, Marianne. You'll never get another piece of my coconut cream pie. Mom. Or my banana cream pie. Oh, mom. Or my pineapple cream pie. Oh, mum mom mom, 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 mom.
0: And while I'm sure there's a small... Dirty corner of the internet trying to visualize Mary Ann's cream pies. So we're just done with phrasing, right? That's not a thing anymore. The professor tries to do damage control.
2: There's a major storm heading for the island. Oh, we've weathered a lot of storms, professor.
0: Ah, but this storm's
2: magnitude has created a tsunami. What's a tsunami? Gilligan, that's an islander word for a tremendous tidal wave. A wave that will cover the island and sweep us all into the sea.
1: That's what I call a real permanent wave.
0: I'm hoping that joke wasn't the result of spending 15 years in the sun too long, but let's move on. What's the Castaway's plan to survive a tsunami?
2: Actually, this tidal wave may be our way off the island and back to civilization. I haven't worked out the details, but...
0: uh... I have only one thing to say, Professor work out the details. Through a series of additional time killers and montages, they tie all their huts together to form a mid-range house capable of turning into a mid-range houseboat. And just as the weather started getting rough, this would be a good time to clear up one of the biggest misconceptions about the show's story, one that can be easily asked once again by Mr. Carvey.
1: And what's the deal with the professor? He can make a radio out of a coconut, but he can't fix a hole in the damn boat.
0: While that question is the most frequently asked, there actually is a good reason for that. Don't believe me? Take it from YouTube
1: personality, Rick 9G. Rick? Now, anyone who's watched an episode and listened to the theme song of Gilligan's Island knows that the entire castaways went on the boat for a three-hour tour. There was a big storm. The uh, boat finally ran amok. It crashed into this island, and they all got shipwrecked. And everyone says, why can't we use this boat? Well, that comes from a season one episode called Goodbye Island. Now, Goodbye Island is a season one episode eight episode in which Gilligan finds a tree sap that he uses as a pancake syrup however they find out that it turns really hard almost like cement and they think well why don't we use this as a type of a glue to patch up the boat unfortunately this glue is not permanent it comes off after a time and not only that but it has this rubber quality to it and in fact it does really something particular to the boat now before this the professor made a chemical formula in which he melted different metals and so forth to make nails because if you think about it if you have a big hole in the boat in a wooden boat how would you patch it up on an island with only sand coconuts and a few palm trees well you would either make nails and try to glue some floorboards on there some type of wooden boards and that's what you tried to do however he couldn't get the nail formula correct it was just either too soft too hard they would explode they were too brittle and you see this throughout the episode so when they find this tree sap that is almost like glue they think this is perfect there's no other real way to attach the wood on there with what they had on the island so they decided to make this however like i said the glue wasn't permanent so as the glue started to come off it ripped the entire boat little by little Every single board, every single thing on that boat came apart. And now you have to know that it is easier to patch up the hole in the boat versus making an entire boat from scratch. And that's why they never really tried again. They tried making rafts and different things like that. At the end, they finally dig it off the island in a movie called rescue from gilligan's island in which they lassoed the huts together in a giant storm that was able to drift them out to sea but they never were able to make a boat why because pretty much after episode eight the entire original boat was completely torn apart hopefully this answers your question guys and gals thank you very much rick 9g
0: and my apologies in advance for trashing a show that you clearly love As the storm picks up, it's up to the castaways to tie themselves to the supporting beam so that they don't get blown away. And speaking of blown away, this moment right here might actually be the closest that Gilligan ever gets to experiencing sex.
1: Don't stop, Gilligan. This is no time to be modest. Well, I can't. My life is at stake.
2: Yeah, but Ginger, you...
1: Just think of me as one of the boys.
2: Okay. boy 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 oh boy no.
0: so now everybody is secured except for a character that we've never heard of so now we must pad things out yet again with gilligan kind-hearted doofus that he is trying to find the Howells' beloved poodle But just as Gilligan goes out to save Fifi, we find this out from the Howells.
2: Probably because we didn't take Fifi with us. Don't you remember? We left her at home. On the paper. 15
0: years ago. That was pointless. And now that we've stalled for time, let's let the best special effects and stock footage that NBC could afford in 1978 wipe out the island. And send the castaways out to sea, where, thanks to sitcom physics, the hut is now a houseboat. But while the castaways are officially off the island, they're not out of danger just yet, as Mr. Magoo checks the surroundings. Of the ocean.
2: Ah, oh, thank heavens the storm is over. I think I'll take a look around and see if the island has suffered any any, any damage.
0: done it again and now that we got our comic relief out of the way there's still a pressing issue at hand where and what happened to Gilligan Gilligan Gilligan! Gilligan! he's not here
2: oh it's all my fault I, I should have gone after my little buddy in the first
1: place oh you tried skipper you tried I'll never forget how he tied me up and saved my life
2: my little buddy, that brave baby.
0: And as we mourn the loss of Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, we must take comfort in knowing that Gilligan from Gilligan's island will not have gone in vain. After all, were it not for Gilligan from Gilligan's island, there would not be a show or a two-hour TV movie that were only 25% of the way through called Gilligan's... Oh, fuck it. You know he's alive.
2: Little buddy, Gilligan! He's out there, everybody, and he's okay. Let's go back. Hurry,
0: hurry, hurry. That was pointless. After that bit of nothing... Gilligan regales us with the details on how he survived getting not killed on the TV show that bears his name. Well,
2: Skipper, what happened was
0: I was out there looking for Phoebe, like, and
2: this wind started coming really strong. And then the thunder, and the lightning, and then the, and then the, and then the rain was coming sideways and straight. And he landed right in the middle of this big plantation.
0: And just as Richard Pryor takes notes for how to act in Superman 3, a shark puts Gilligan in danger. Again! Because, let's face it, this is a 90-minute, three-hour tour. Time-killing is an ample supply, and this sequence in particular, where both Gilligan, the professor, and the skipper, too, cling to the back of a shark as if it were a water ski, goes on for two minutes of network airtime. A sequence that's enough to make you say, Get
2: on with it! Yes! Get on with it! Yeah.
0: So, after that live-action episode of Jabberjaw, a new reality is setting in for the castaways. How exactly are they going to get home from the middle of the sea?
2: I think it's time we made the supreme sacrifice.
0: You're right, my dear. You have permission to use the Howl clothes. Run up my dinner jacket. Well, credit where credit's due. Points to the Howells for accidentally being prepared and for answering Mr. Carvey's first question.
1: I know! Why do they have all those clothes?
0: Meanwhile, as the crew continues to sail aimlessly, Gilligan decides to surprise the crew by cooking up a fish they caught in the ocean. Because a 15-year-long diet of coconuts, bananas, and pie-related variations of both should be enough to make everybody gaunt, were it not for the fact that this is a show where suspension of disbelief shines like a car. High beam. But, Gilligan being Gilligan, his kind-hearted doofishness puts everybody in danger again. Hey, we're having broiled snapper for dinner. Royal. Uh-huh. How
2: are you cooking it? With a fire. With a fire? Where did you build a
0: fire? On the deck. On the deck! <laughs> but for once, unless there was an episode that I missed during the regular series. Gilligan's clumsiness actually saves the day this time when the smoke from the fire grabs the attention of the Coast Guard. I can't believe it.
2: After 15 years, we're finally
0: rescued. Rescued.
2: Rescued. 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 Rescued.
0: Rescued. 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 911. And indeed, this is a historic moment. After years of watching them go through life with no phone, no lights, no motor car, not a single luxury, like Robinson Crusoe, as primitive as could be, the castaways come home to a hero's welcome.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Marshall Rogers, KBEX Hawaii, and this is one
0: of the most exciting moments in the history of the Honolulu Yacht Harbor. And for the remainder of the first half, it's pretty much just that. The castaways are welcome home with a kind of pomp and circumstance that's usually reserved for war heroes or sports champions. While, at the same time, the people cheering on the castaways may also be showing appreciation for the series itself. After all, this was one of those rare shows that's seen endless popularity even long after it was cancelled unceremoniously. People still remember it fondly to this day. And I'm sure that when this moment was filmed, it must have been comforting to see a cast that was at first spat upon by critics and the network that aired it just to get admiration that they've long deserved, even if one of them happens to be conspicuously absent and somebody else happens to be taking her place. Of course, this is telehell. If we kept on heaping praise around here, we would not be doing our jobs. Lucky for us, in the second half of the movie, Gilligan's Island becomes a completely different show entirely. Remember these guys? Stupid capitalist parade for a stupid cast of Sure you do. We'll find out what the former USSR has to do with a bunch of bumbling sitcom characters. After
1: the break.
2: I'm Erin Davis from CHFI. And I'm Don Daynard, and we're here in this fabulous tropical island to remind you that CHFI is your vacation station. Set your radio to 98.1, and you could be one of 60 people doing a CHFI vacation. Imagine yourself on a beautiful island like this one. Don, this isn't really a tropical island. Wait a minute. You mean after 30 years, I can finally get off? oh whole Whoopee! Listen to win your vacation on CHFI. Hey, guys, how about a three-hour tour? This week on Telehell's premium content of the dam. Do you think this scene should have been cut? We were so worried when the boys were writing it, but now we're glad. It's better than some of the previous scenes, I think. Oh, I am enjoying this scene.
0: Get on with it! <sighs> if you want to know why we're using this Monty Python cutscene to tease our premium content this week, well... You just gotta join us on Patreon to find out what it's all about. It'll all make sense, I promise. Tell them how to join, Mike. The only way to listen to Telehel's premium
2: content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way once again. That's patreon.com slash podcast. And now, back to
0: this week's torture. October 21st,
1: 1978.
0: Kiss You All Over by Exile was still a number one hit. Frank Zappa was about to host, what was at the time, the worst episode of SNL ever. And once again at 8pm, 7pm Central, we rejoin the castaways on their new life on dry land. As they continue to get a hero's welcome, by sheer coincidence, their ticker tape parade is being viewed by some of the Russian scientists that we saw earlier in the show, one of whom happens to be played by the late great character actor, Vincent Schiavelli. As they're watching, they notice something very familiar hanging around, here on Gilligan's neck. Is it possible?
2: Yes, it's recording this from spy satellites ordered to recover disc at any cost. No risk is too great. Hmm. Risk would not be ours. It will be skinny one. The one they call
0: Gilligan. <laughs> but that's second to the fact that now that they've been rescued, there's really no need for any of them to be together anymore. So the crew goes their separate ways. The movie star goes back to the movies, the professor goes back to professing, the millionaire and his wife go back to millionaring and wifing. And Marianne goes back to whatever it is that she used to do. I think kickboxing or something. And as for Gilligan and the Skipper, they return to the marina that they used to work for before their tiny ship was tossed. Hilarity ensues as Gilligan fumbles around with paintbrushes while the Skipper laments on what they've missed over the past 15 years.
2: Three different presidents? Astronauts walking on the moon? We even missed the miniskirts! What a miniskirt? Remember when we left... Women's skirts were clear down to here. While we were gone, they came up to here. Now they're back down to here again. Killing did we miss from here to here?
0: okay. But skipper, you had two women to choose from. Three if the millionaire's wife was into that kind of thing, and I'm pretty sure Ginger and Marianne wore things even skimpier than a miniskirt on the series. Maybe you're suffering from PTSD after being on the island for so long. And the
1: skimper and Gilligan, what is the deal there? Why don't they date Marianne? I'm starting to wonder about that little bunny stuff. Okay, okay, that's plenty.
0: And now that we've exhausted every possible clip from that sketch that we could use, our two Soviets try to ambush Gilligan for the first time but since there's plenty of movie to go, definitely not the last time.
2: You are sailor? Yeah, I'm first mate in the middle too in a very teeny little apartment too. We are sailors also. Uh, Both of us. Nice necklace you're wearing. It's my good luck charm. In my country is old custom. I give you my good luck charm for your good luck charm. Solid gold. No, I wouldn't part with this for my life. Every man have price. Well, I gotta go. Faith, no, I gotta check about a check.
0: Aside from the Soviets trying to keep the Cold War alive and well, the other main plot involves the skipper, Braven sure, collecting insurance money on the wreck of the original Minnow. Not the part that Rick 9G mentioned earlier about tree sap dismantling the ship, but we mean the initial part where the ship ran aground on the shore of that uncharted desert isle. The catch? Gilligan, it says here that the insurance company will not pay me until I can prove that the
2: shipwreck was not my fault. Don't they trust you? Gilligan, it's not like we were back on the island where we all trusted each other. We're back in civilization. Dog-eat-dog. Dog. It was ever dog-eat-dog on the island, except for pee and she wasn't even there.
0: Right. So now, just as fast as the castaways have drifted apart, it's up to Gilligan and the Skipper to bring them all together again while being chased by the Russians. Which, not for nothing actually would've been a good plot for a completely different show. The fact that Gilligan's Island is involved makes things slightly implausible, especially considering the original series was implausible to begin with. Nevertheless, the two of them now head cross country to get the signatures that they need, starting with the movie star, while she's making her first movie in a very long time. So long a time, in fact, that the caliber of movies that she's making seems to have shifted dramatically since the 1960s. Would
2: you like to elaborate on that, Mr. Producer?
0: Darling, I wouldn't ask him that.
2: Well, who picked out that ridiculous dress you're wearing? I did. I want to see less material
0: and more you.
1: Well, what do you want me to wear? A band aid? Would you?
0: We now present a reenactment of the conversation that took place between Sherwood Schwartz and Tina Louise when it came time to pitching her this reunion movie. Ginger, are you decent?
2: Of course. That's why I'm having all this trouble. Uh. The producer is ordering you back on the set. What's your answer?
0: just as ginger is being a diva on the set the skipper and gilligan show up to see if they can make things right what's wrong ginger
1: well this is what's wrong i've never read anything so terrible it's full of four-letter words
2: Oh yeah? she's right skipper you can't imagine how many four-letter words
0: when, this, from, both, like, all four than a word. Yeah, you forgot a few there, Gilligan. Uh, you want to take this here, George? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, huh? But go on.
1: They used to make beautiful movies with beautiful costumes. But they think I'd look better in nothing nothing but a smile. I guess that producer figures that's the only way to make money.
2: Am I intruding? Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but there's been a little misunderstanding. Now, I wouldn't make a picture I couldn't
0: take my mother to see. Ready when you are, Ginger. And we hope you enjoyed that moment because... Spoiler alert, this is pretty much what happens for the duration of the movie. The fellow castaways have a problem, Gilligan and the Skipper try to solve it, and said castaway signs their insurance form, with the Russians chasing after Gilligan, lather, rinse, repeat. Speaking of which, Gilligan and the Skipper leave the movie studio with some inconspicuous Russian cowboys. You heard me. Tailing them.
2: You all right, partner? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. least we friend We have part in cowboy picture. Practice throwing rope. Can we get it off me, please? I'll be here. We tie him up. Take this.
0: We then move on to a nondescript university where the professor is surrounded by eager eds who he really doesn't know how to relate to. Professor. <laughs> Girls, you shouldn't rush in on me like that.
1: Oh, well, we kept on knocking, but you didn't answer.
2: Well, I'm sorry, but I'm very busy. You'll have to come back some other time.
1: Oh No, we have to talk to you now. You've just been elected homecoming king for the big game. Woo! We even have a special cheer for you. Come on, girls. Ricky me Ricky Max! Please, the
0: in the middle of an experiment. And again. And this goes to all the single men on the island, whether it be the Professor, Gilligan, or the Skipper. And I I, I really feel I need to make this point clear. You had Ginger and Marianne. How repressed could island living have made you? Anyway, aside from a lack of social skills, here's the Professor's actual problem. As per this complaint by the professor's dean of the school,
2: Professor, I'm afraid you've been neglecting your primary duty. Oh, well, but I have taught all my classes, and I've been invited to alumni events. Do you know how many alumni meetings and foundations had you booked for speaking engagements? I'm sorry, Dean, but Professor, I've been Professor. You be... are a celebrity. Those people who hear you speak will donate money to the college. That's
0: public relations
2: work. Exactly.
0: Translation. Give us some money. <laughs> As a gift. We want a gift. Only if it's money. And while the professor mulls over having to relive the worst years of his life in front of an audience, guess who's back again? Remembering plan.
2: When they come out of building, we stop skinny one. You stop him. Ask question. While you are talking, I hit him over head with this. Oh, good idea.
0: While he is down, we get this. <laughs> we get this. We are heroes. <sighs> And it's here where we get probably one of the most ridiculously implausible scenes ever put to cathode tube. As the Russians are chasing Gilligan and the Skipper on the college's field, a pair of track and field guys just happen to toss both a javelin and a shot put, which just happen to land right near the Russians. And let me say that again, near the Russians, not directly on them. I mention this because, for some reason, once the javelin sticks to the ground, Vincent Schiavelli with maybe 10 feet of distance between him and the javelin, which, by the way, is not that stiff or durable to begin with, knocks him out as though he's George of the Jungle slamming into a tree. Meanwhile, the other Russian is taken out by the shot put with no more than a somersault and a sprained ankle, when, in actuality, a men's shot put weighs around 16 pounds. When you chuck it in the air and it comes down, the velocity should be enough to not sprain the ankle, but shatter the foot entirely altogether. But, but that wouldn't be family-friendly now, would it? Moving on to the millionaire and his wife, they're seen readjusting to their lives in high society, where I'm sure all the friends that they had before will remember them fondly in a non-advantageous way. But first, we must pause a moment to present a cigar break, as well as, and not gonna lie here, the first legitimate laugh that I got through this entire
2: movie. Have a cigar, Thurston. Uh, domestic, I'm afraid. Uh, domestic? Oh, please. Uh, Phillips, where are our cigars from Havana? Oh, one moment, sir. Yes. Just arriving, sir. Uh, thank you, Phillips.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: thank you, Fidel. To be honest, I don't know which was the funnier joke. That it took 40 seconds for cigars to be delivered from Cuba, that Mr. Howell knew Fidel Castro on a first-name basis, or that Fidel Castro would ever get involved in capitalism. Who knew? Take your pick as the big guy and the little buddy show up.
2: Gilligan! Captain! Is oh, that the most friend! Oh, Why didn't you Howell? call ahead? Well, so, well, we would have Mr. called Mrs. Howe, but uh, your phone number's unlisted. So is you. your house. Uh, sorry, we didn't know you were having a party. We would have... Oh, you must stay and have dinner with us. Oh, well, thank you, no. <laughs> and now, good. to
0: truly show that this is a work of fiction, may we now present millionaires actually sticking up for the little guys and little buddies alike.
2: Oh, we heard everything you said. The deal is off. Nobody shames my friends. Throw them out! don't even validate their parking
0: tickets. You see that, Mark Zuckerberg? That is called being a caring human being. Even if your bank account has more zeros in it than your dating status at Harvard, people are still people no matter how deep your pockets are or how connected you are to the Russians. Oh, speaking of which...
2: We are with them. Then you are out too. Get Get out of the
0: way. Which leaves us with Marianne and her problems. Particularly cold feet at her wedding. Wedding to who, you ask? I'm sure it was alluded to at some point or another on the original show, but apparently somebody was hanging on to the hope that he would marry Marianne after 15 years on an island. So, why the tears?
1: Uh, Her- Herbert loves me.
2: And he's waited 15 years to marry me. The whole time I was on the island.
1: What are you trying to say?
2: Oh, Cindy, he's changed.
1: I've changed. Nothing's the same anymore.
2: Oh, I don't love him.
0: Okay, so just have a loveless marriage like 80% of the world and then clean him out in the divorce. Pretty much all of America has no fault laws these days, anyway, so it just seems like an inevitability. Anyway, bring on the Laurel and Hardy of the seas. Just think, Gilligan, Marianne waited 15 years for this day.
2: And Herbert Ruckers waited 15 years? Yes, that was 30 years. <coughs> oh, 15 and 15, yes, but I don't know how you do it. You always say the wrong thing. Marianne, did I say the wrong thing? No, I'm the happiest girl in the whole world. I'm just a little nervous. Well, but that's natural. Yeah, but she's, she's happy. Why is she crying? I always laugh when I'm happy. Because you're not a bride. <laughs> oh, I am just so happy you could be here
0: to see And I'm once happy. again, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. And I also have to give Vincent Schiavelli and his mustache some bonus points for possibly inspiring the wardrobe of Borat 30 years before the fact. A part of me. You are friend of bride or groom of the bride. You bring present?
2: No, I didn't know it was going to be a wedding. Necklace would be wonderful present. When would I buy a necklace now? Best to give something you own, like old saying. something
0: old, something new, something bowed, right from you. And while the Russians seem to have worse luck than Ernst Blofeld, Hamilton Berger, and Wiley e. Coyote combined. We find out that there's more to Marianne not wanting to get married than we thought. Now
2: try to understand, little buddy, Cindy's in love with Herbert. That's why she's crying. And Herbert's in love with Cindy. Well, Herbert's in love with Cindy, and Cindy's in love with Herbert, and Marianne is in love- Who'd you say Marianne's in love with? Nobody. But that's the point. But Marianne's marrying Herbert anyway. Why? Because he waited 15 years for her, and she waited 15 years for
0: him. (laughs) Oh no, now she's doing it. You better stop saying 15 years. So... Yeah. Do that. Better to have a happy couple than have a seemingly everyday kind get hitched. So what else is there to discuss? Hey, little buddy,
2: are you sure you know what to do? Don't worry about me, move it out.
0: Okay, I stand corrected. This is our newest contender for the most ridiculously implausible scene ever put to a cathode tube. As Gilligan and the Skipper whisk Marianne away on a tractor hauling watermelons, only for all the male participants of the wedding to chase after the tractor. Which, by the way, is not really a very fast vehicle to begin with, so now I'm legally obligated to play this clip. Damn!
2: They're very slowly getting away! They're heading for the old mill! No, we're not! Well, let's go to the old mill anyway. Get some cider.
0: Ultimately culminating in Gilligan using one of the melons to knock down everybody like they were a set of bowling pins. And while the most idiotic chase scene this side of Hazard County takes place, I want to jump ahead to point out something about this show. When it aired over the two-week period that it did, the show pulled in an estimated 52% of the total TV audience. Let me say that again. 52% of the population that owned a TV in 1978 tuned in to see what is pretty much the same set of circumstances taking place four times in the space of an hour. I honestly don't know whether to laugh, cry, or hit myself in the head with a hammer because cable TV couldn't expand itself soon enough.
2: we well, where to, very Let's go back. Oh, never. Why not? Huh? I am not going to marry Herbert Rucker. And why not? Because his wife won't let him. <laughs> we did it! We did it, little oh sweetheart!
0: And now that the I's and T's have been dotted and crossed... The skipper gets his insurance money, and we fast forward to Christmas, where construction on the Minnow 2 is completed, and all the castaways reunite one more time for a party. One where we've all learned something today.
2: Ever since we've been back, I've learned a lot about civilization, and I've learned a lot about who our friends really are. Yes, judging by our various experiences, we've had lessons in lust, greed, envy, sloth, anger, gluttony, and pride.
0: Wait, only four? What the- Oh, right. Sloth, envy, and pride are just regular deadly sins. They don't count down here. Okay, thanks for making my job easy down here, Professor. And as long as things are going well, Gilligan thinks the reunion should continue. But how?
2: Maybe we can have a reunion cruise, especially since the last cruise ran into a little problem. Gilligan, you finally got a wonderful idea! It'll be the first charter of the Minnow, 2 We'll meet here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? We leave? We... Yeah, we really can. Uh... Tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Our last chance to get this. My Minnow, two.
0: And while we don't see anything wrong at all with this plan, our Russians continue to never give up.
2: Everyone, please, putting hands in air! We take what we want. We give that to our government. We get metal. Hold it, I'll take that. FBI. If you you folks don't mind, we'll take these two along with us. Will somebody tell us what this is all about? Can I have my good luck turn back? In due time. Uh, Thanks to you, we captured these spies. I want you to know that the government is greatly in your debt. Why not? The government's greatly in debt to everyone else,
0: too. Wow. I uh, I actually wasn't expecting that to happen largely because the FBI appeared quite literally out of nowhere and at the last minute, but also because I would have expected the Russians to commit some sort of sabotage that would doom the castaways. But it looks like I've been proven wrong. The castaways are actually going to get the happy ending that they deserve with just four minutes to go. Thanks, Skipper. And as they venture out to sea... I can't understand it, Gilligan. Understand what, Skipper? Well, I set our course for that little island just off the coast.
2: Right. Well, it's been hours now. We seem to be heading straight out to sea. Unless the Compass is wrong. The compass can't be wrong. I just cleaned it before we left. You cleaned it? No. Well, we better not take any chances. i better start heading back. Aye, I, sir? No, no. I'll steer by the sun for a while. No, you're not.
0: You're you're honestly not. Please, for the love of every last evil entity since the dawn of time, do not do what I think you're about to do.
2: I know where we are. Now, how could you know that, Gilligan? That wind was blowing 90 miles an hour in every direction. But I know, Skipper. How do you know, Gilligan? Look what I found. Oh, no. The same
0: island. (sighs) 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 Okay, I'm done. I know, I should be pissed off about the movie copping itself out, but what is TV without having its share of status quos? Lucy always wants to be a part of Ricky's show. Joe Friday wants just the facts. Falky tells Cousin Larry, of course not, don't be ridiculous. The, The list goes on and on. But once you've shattered one of those status quos, like, say, living on a desert island for 15 years you do not send them back to the island in the final minute of the movie especially with
2: 52 percent of the country watching you've broken the status quo and you can't fix it time they'll have to make the best of things to
0: except they sort of do in the two TV movies that followed. Yes, there were two more Gilligan's Island TV movies that followed this one. None of which I can find, thanks Satan. And none of which have Tina Louise in it. So, fuck it, let's just get this over with.
1: Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery...
0: The only behind-the-scenes trivia worth noting here is the fact that Tina Louise wanted to hold out for more money. The greed is going to have its own moment in the fire momentarily. The resulting hiring of Judith Baldwin to fill in for her, try as she did, was enough for the Gilligan hardcore to cry foul just as those who are Brady Bunch fanatics did the same for Fake Jan. So, in spite of the thankless job that she did, a fake ginger is also a fraudulent ginger. As far as the movie goes, The Professor actually saved me a lot of time in summing things up. Yes, judging by our various experiences, we've had lessons in lust, greed, envy, sloth, anger, gluttony, and pride. Which is evident from the scenes involving Ginger's coping with a scantily clad Hollywood ethics code, The Professor coping with gluttonous cheerleaders and collegiate fundraising, The Howells showing their rich friends that money isn't everything, and Marianne pissing off her wedding party by bolting the ceremony. So, that covers four in one... One heartfelt swoop. But the fact that everybody wound up right back where they started from not only invoked a different kind of anger from both the castaways and the people watching, but it also put said castaways right back in a state of limbo where they might never escape the island again. Unless there's something that I don't know about in the sequels. But... Despite the fact that the ending was the cop-out to end all TV cop-outs, it was still nice to see some kind of closure for the castaways, even if that closure turned out to have had an untethered opening. Rescue from Gilligan's Island earned six out of nine circles of telehell. And again, we thank Neil Weinstein for your request. Thankfully, this is the last Sherwood-Schwartz-related piece of media that I cover this year. If the Dark Lord's willing and the Creeks don't rise with blood. Who could that be? You know, it's bad enough that Halloween has to start earlier and earlier each year. Now I got people sending me Christmas presents in November. I can't even open this. It's got one of those Do Not Open Till Christmas tags on it. Eh, Screw it. I'll just throw it in the pile. Open it up later. Next time on Telehel, would you believe a bad idea that misses the mark by that much?
1: No one will stop us.
2: Except for Maxwell Smart. It's the president on line one.
0: Until then, if it's not in Telehel, it's not worth a damn. Once again, we'd like to thank Rick9G for letting us borrow one of his Gilligan's Island videos. And believe me, he's got a lot of them to go through. So, if you want to learn more about Gilligan's Island, go to YouTube and look up Rick9G and follow him on Facebook as well. Our announcer is Mike Porter. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds, Twitter and Facebook, both at Tele-Hell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can, and can what you do, at Patreon.com slash Podcast.